Welcome to the Riverwood Chapel podcast. We're so excited you're here. Please check out our other content and video uploads at riverwoodchapel.org. Thank you. Well, good morning, Riverwood. And welcome to our Converge Sunday. You might be thinking, like, why are there a lot of kids in the room? A long, long time ago, we thought, you know, it's quite possible for kids to go through uh, this church ministry and never spend time here. And always wondering, what do adults do in that room? And so we're like, hey, let's have moments where we can be together. And so someone said after the first hour, these are powerful moments. Because the kids that you see amongst us aren't the church of tomorrow. They're the church of right now. You are a part of our church. You are a vital part, kids. And you are always welcome to be here and to, to worship and to hear God's word. All right, so with that, I have a question for everybody, young and old. What age do you have your earliest memory? What age? Now talk to the person next to you. What is that memory, and what age were you for the next 30 seconds? Go. Okay, who can remember their kindergarten teacher? Your kindergarten teacher, you have that memory. Anybody not remember their kindergarten teacher? Okay. Who can remember something from the age of four? Who can remember something from the age of three? Give a distinct memory at the age of three. Anybody go to age two? You have a distinct age two memory. Anybody go down to age one? Researchers tell us that we have the ability to go to two and a half. Two and a half. And uh, researchers also say the younger you go, the more fictional your memories are. <laughs> Here's how young I go. I am like a prodigy. Look at this picture. I still remember that hat I was wearing. <laughs> that was me at one month. I was getting ready for, I looked in the back of that picture, it's my mom, and uh, we were going to the church dedication at church that day. Wow, look at that. But it's interesting, all of these things of our memory, what do we remember? Here's the fascinating thing about our culture. Uh, We can remember lots of things because we have the pictures right here on our phones, Uh, We have all these ways to scroll through. And I am with people that are like, do you remember what I did like five years ago? Let me show you the picture. And they scroll through their phone and they show it to me. It's amazing. All right, now, before the smartphone, there used to be these things that were dedicated just to taking pictures. That's all they ever did. I know, kids in the room. There were these things called cameras. Cameras. All right, let me ask this question. How did people remember the past before pictures and cameras? Like, let's go back well before the smartphone and cameras. How did people remember the past? What do you think? Books? Stories? Yes, story. Storytelling. Taking the time to paint pictures with words. That's what you would do. And so you would tell the same story 
over and over and over again so the next generation would hear it and they would pass it on as well. We get a little bit of that in our older generations. Whenever they gather together, you're at kind of a party and you know, grandma's talking about crazy Uncle Joe. Remember what Uncle Joe did at Christmas time? And everyone tell, and there's no pictures of what Uncle Joe did, but there's the stories and story and story and story of what had happened. And so the power of story is vital in the idea of remembering. And that's exactly what is happening in the very last chapter of Jeremiah. Here we are, after 20 weeks, landing the plane of the book of Jeremiah, this prophet. We've been walking week by week to hear from him, and now we get to the very end. And if you were reading chapter 52 this week, you're probably thinking to yourself, I've heard this all before. This is repetitive. I've seen this somewhere. And it's true. These are words that Jeremiah had predicted, and now there's someone saying it happened. But you also read these accounts in other parts of the Bible. In the book of Kings, you can read all of these things. And so if you are here for the very first Sunday here at Riverwood, welcome. We're glad you're here because you are going to hear the summary of the entire book of Jeremiah. The whole thing has been summarized uh, in the very last chapter. Uh, The retelling, uh, the snapshots, uh, the word pictures are all right here in the 52nd chapter of Jeremiah. And so, let me ask this question. What is the point of this whole entire book? Jeremiah helps us out, and you've seen this verse before in chapter 1. Remember, this is what Jeremiah is all about. This is it. I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build, and to plant. We said at the very beginning, Jeremiah is the mouthpiece of the Lord, Yahweh. And so Yahweh had lots of things to say and to do through Jeremiah. And it all comes down to these six words right here. This is what the whole point of the, of the book is. These six words, four of them are under the category of what I would call destruction. Two of these words are under the category of construction. Can you tell which ones? Can you tell which ones are the destruction words? Yeah, uh, the first four. Pluck up, break down, destroy, and overthrow. And so... 90, I'm going to throw out a random percentage because all percentages are made up in the moment. 95% of the book of Jeremiah is destruction language. Jeremiah has been the one to tell the people the bad news. And we even said one of the greatest artists, Michelangelo, captured this in the Sistine Chapel. Remember, this is one of our photos from our series. Right there in the Sistine Chapel, off into the corner, you would see this, Jeremiah. The weeping prophet. Why was he weeping? (laughs) We know why. He had to be the one to tell the bad news. Over and over and over again. So what is the bad news he was telling people all about? What, What was so difficult? Well, it came down to one of these verses. We said, um, Your ways and your deeds have brought this upon you. Now he's telling this to the people. This is your doom. This is bitter It has reached your very, and this is a key word in Jeremiah, your heart. 
It has reached your heart. That is why this is so difficult. How difficult? He even said this in Jeremiah. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Desperately sick. Some translations say desperately wicked is the human heart. This past week, we had a very unique moment on the calendar that was on the calendar for months and months and months. But this past Wednesday morning, we hosted the Stowe School Administrators for breakfast. We've been doing this now for a few years, but it happened to come the day after of what unfolded in Uvalde, Texas. And you can imagine the feel of that room Wednesday morning. Dark, heavy, sadness, as all these principals and administrators are now trying to think through, like, wow, that, that, that right here in our own town, how do, how do we wrestle with protecting and guarding uh, the most precious things in our community, our, our children? And so I, I was there, and all of our pastors, and, and what do you say in that moment? It's like, you can't point to, like, we need all of this new legislation, we need all of this, and you know, the human heart is desperately wicked, desperately sick. The human heart does horrible things and leads to actions that are unacceptable. This is what the human heart is capable of doing. And so we prayed and prayed for kids and prayed for our community. This is what Jeremiah is is up against this idea of what's going on in the heart. This is his mission. And so his mission, part one, is about destruction. Why? Why is he about destruction? He's going after this thing of destruction in the heart of man so that, this is the important part, man will surrender. Man will uh, face humility. He will come and, and, and return, that's a huge word from Jeremiah, return, turn to Yahweh and give his life to him. It's all about entering into a relationship with God. And Jeremiah says there has to be some kind of destruction that happens in the human heart to make way for that kind of relationship. There has to be this plucking up, this destroying, overthrowing, breaking down. Was it avoidable? Could you have avoided this? I don't know if they could have because their hearts were so obstinate and so hard. Kids, this is why parents discipline you at home. This is why there are penalties for not doing the things you're supposed to do, like when you're supposed to take out the trash, when you're supposed to walk the dog, when you're supposed to empty the dishwasher. When you don't do those things, there should be discipline. Why? Why do we need it? Well, let me tell you a little secret. It's not so much about the trash. It's not so much about walking the dog. It's about something deeper. Your obstinate heart that needs to be reversed. And on a much larger scale, this is what Jeremiah is doing. That is why he's entering into the realm of destruction. All right, so now let's go to the last chapter I'm going to show you three photographs. Three photographs, they're going to be word photographs. 
but three photographs, and I want you to tell me, is there destruction happening? After I read one, I'm going to ask you, do you see this thing of plucking up or breaking down, destroying, or being overthrown? All right, let's see it. In chapter 52, verse 1, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. He reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His, mother na- his mother's name was Hamatol, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Very common phrase. According to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, it came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he cast them out of his presence. Now Zedekiah, this is a different king, rebelled against the king of Babylon. And in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month and the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And they built siege works all around it. So the city was besieged till the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. All right. Anyone see plucking up, breaking down, destroying, or anything being overthrown? Anyone see it? So it's true. The things that Jeremiah said would happen, they did happen. All right, snapshot one. Now we go to snapshot number two, verse 17. Again, look for those four words. And the pillars of bronze that were in the house of the Lord, the temple, and the stands and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried all the bronze to Babylon. And they took away the pots and the shovels and the snuffers and the basins and the dishes for incense and all the vessels of bronze used in the temple service. Also the small bowls, the fire pans, the basins and the pots and the lampstands and the dishes for incense and the bowls for drink offerings. What was of gold, the captain of the guard took away as gold and what was of silver as silver. Anyone else see it? Destruction, things being overthrown. Captured, taken away, destruction, snapshot number two. Ah, yes. See, it's the retelling of the story. Jeremiah said this would happen, and it did. Snapshot number three. See if you see it again. Down to verse 28. This is the number of the people whom Nebuchadnezzar carried away captive. In the seventh year, 3,023 Judeans In the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar, he carried away captive from Jerusalem, 832 persons. In the 23rd year of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuzarian, the captain of the guard, carried away captive of the Judeans, 745 persons. All the persons were 4,600. Anyone see it again? Destruction. Plucking up, breaking down, overthrown. You see it, right? Again, God's word is true. These things that were predicted, Jeremiah said, would happen. Again, we're hearing the story. We're seeing it repeated. We're now having memories of it, and it happened. Yahweh kept his word. You saw it. You're seeing it detailed. The retelling of the story. Why? Why are we hearing it again? So that the people would remember, and in remembering, they would then turn their hard hearts towards Yahweh. Destruction has to happen in the heart, a humbling of the pride so that there can be a way to the Lord. He wants to have a relationship with his people. 
It's so evident in Jeremiah. Now here's where it gets good, because 2,700 years later, it's the same story. God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants your desperately wicked heart that you were born with. Yeah, kids, you are born with a wickedly, desperately sick heart that is far from the Lord. He wants your heart to turn towards him. Well, how is that going to happen? There needs to be some kind of destruction that happens internally. Something needs to take place. Our pride, uh, uh, humility, so that we will submit, we will come under and submit our lives to God. We'll enter into a relationship with him. That's true if you're five years old or whether you're 55 years old. The question remains, have you had some kind of destruction happen in your heart to submit your life to God and his son, Jesus Christ? See, Jesus Christ came, and he spoke the same kinds of words. In the Gospel of Luke, notice what Jesus says. Look for the the destruction language. He doesn't use the word plucking up or overthrowing, but notice the words he does use. Jesus would say, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? The mission of God, it's right here, 2,700 years later. The words of Jesus ring in our ears the same message of destruction. The words are different. Notice what he says. There must be a denying There must be a a losing. These are the words that enter us and usher us into a humble relationship with the Lord. You see, we don't come to the Lord saying, I got it all figured out. Accept me and look how wonderful I am. That's not how we enter in. There is a destruction that happens. and We realize how broken we are. We realize how sinful we are, and we realize we can't do it on our own. The moment that we then submit our lives to the Lord, entering into a relationship with Him, the one who has hope, the one who is the truth, the one who gives life. All right, in this moment, we're going to have our worship team enter back onto the stage. As they are coming, let me just ask you this. This is the invitation that the book of Jeremiah wants us to wrestle with. This invitation. Are we going to submit our lives to him? It's still the same question that we are needing an answer for. Are we the ones who have submitted our lives to him? Has he really done a work of destruction in your heart to make way for his grace and mercy in love? Maybe today is that day. And whether, again, you're a child here worshiping with us, these are the words that God wants you to hear. Or maybe you're a grandparent that's visiting, and these are words that he wants you to hear as well. Have you had that kind of destruction happen where you have been humbled to enter into a relationship with him?
I love the song they're about to sing. It's going to talk about turning lives. It's going to talk about mending hearts. All of these themes from Jeremiah. And so let's worship together. Go ahead and have a seat. Hey, kids, let me ask you a question. Who has gotten uh, that project at school where you had to do your whole family tree? Your family tree, you're doing the work, like parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, a family tree project, okay? A number of years ago, um, somebody was helping me out with my own family tree. Couldn't go back very far. And all of a sudden, something kind of got put together. And so did all this research, and I then, with our family, went on a little kind of field trip to Gettysburg. And so we are now going to find the tombstone of my great, 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 that'd be six, grandfather who fought in the Revolutionary War. And so could we find this tombstone? And look what we found. There he is, John Tawney. Yeah, interesting. And there's a lot of history there about him being a second lieutenant in the Maryland militia and blah, 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 all this great history. It's fascinating for our family to hear these stories. Very, very interesting. And genealogy has the ability to bigger stories that are happening. Now, why do I say that? I say that because now back in our time in Jeremiah, there's going to be another genealogy story that's going to connect us to part two. Part one was about destruction. Part two of Jeremiah is about what? Construction. Come on, people. Like, all right. Yeah. It's about building and planting. And we've gone 52 chapters and we're like, where's the building and planting going on? The, the weeping prophet is weeping, like, on every page. Is there something of hope? Is there something of building and planting? Now we get to the very end. Let's see it together. What would it be? Verse 31 of chapter 52. This is what God's Word says. In the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 25th day of the month, evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon." So Jehoiakim put off his prison garments, and every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table, and for his allowance, a regular allowance, was given him by the king according to his daily needs until the day of his death as long as he lived. The end. And we might read that and think, well, where was it? Building and planting, construction. Let me give you a little bit of, of quick review. Jehoiakim, who's mentioned here, he's one of those kings that just comes onto the scene very quickly and leaves. He actually had a reign that was three months. Three months. Then he's carried off. And now he makes a reemergence at the very end of this book. He's been in captivity for 37 years. And now he is, and look at how the strange things that are happening. He is now freed by a king that has the word evil in his name. This would be the son of 
King Nebuchadnezzar, evil Merodach. And he is now showing kindness to this former king of Judah. What? And not only that, he's, he's exchanging his prison clothes for, you know, he's now saying, hey, come to my table and come and eat. And look what he, he's also getting, an unending allowance. Who would like that? The unending allowance. You can just keep spending and spending and spending. Whatever he needed, he had until the day he died. All right, so what's the big deal? The big deal is now what I'm about to show you, the hope and the planting and the building. Now we're going to end our time in Jeremiah. We're going to open up to the Gospel of Matthew, the very first book in the New Testament. And right in chapter 1, there is some genealogy. For all those who like to see generation after generation after generation, let me just read, starting in verse 12. It then reads this way, And after the deportation to Babylon, that's the whole book of Jeremiah, kind of in one little sentence there, Jeconiah, let me stop right there. That's the surname of Jehoiakim. Just so you know, that's who we're talking about. Jehoiakim was the father of Shelatiel. Shelatiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abud. Abud, the father of Elakim. And Elakim, the father of Azor. And Azor, the father of Zadok. And Zadok, the father of Akim. And Akim, the father of Eliad, and Eliad, the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer, the father of Matan, and Matan, the father of and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. The Christ. There it is. Building and planting in ways that we might not have seen. But it was taking course. The, the fa- grandfather, the great, 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 going back 13 generations, was a king named Jehoiakim. He was in the line of David, in the line of Jesus Christ, our Savior. The hope, uh, the building and planting is right there at the end. The construction, God was taking care of it through Jeremiah taking care of it so that the next generation would hear the stories and the next generation would hear the stories and the stories and the story that would lead to the one the whole Old Testament was pointing to, Jesus Christ. And that is still continuing on today. The mission of God continues. We now look back and see the story of Jesus. It happened. He died and rose again building and constructing on the gospel is still happening today. The one who spoke so clearly of this was the Apostle Paul. In his letter to the the church in Ephesus, notice what he said. He said, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. You're on the foundation of Jeremiah when you believe in Jesus Christ. 
He said, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The the story of construction is still happening through God's people. A a destruction happens in the heart to submit your life to him. He then uses people in a relationship with him for construction of the gospel to the next generations. And so here's my question. What are you doing to build and plant the gospel of Jesus Christ? What are you doing? Or Or is religion just something you do on Sundays? What are you doing to build and to plant the gospel in your home, in your neighborhood, on your sports team, in your school, at your work? What are you doing to build and construct? Because God is still using people to tell the story, the snapshots of the gospel that will turn broken hearts towards him. This is the mission of God, continuing. After we are gone, this will still continue. May we be the people who continue to build and plant the gospel right here in Kent, Ohio. Right here in Kent, Ohio, we get to be builders and planters. And right where you go to school and work and where your house is, you get to be a builder and a planter of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May he continue to be our firm foundation and the one in whom we trust. I'm going to pray for us because we're going to need help in this mission. As the mission continues, we're going to need his help every step of the way. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, we come to you, and after 20 weeks of spending time in the, gosp- in, in the book of Jeremiah, we see the gospel, the, the good news, to return and to, to turn to you, the one who is the one of hope, the one who had everything of the construction of of the good news taken care of. And so, Lord, we we walk with you each and every day right here in our own neighborhood, looking to you as the one who is the, the way, the truth, and the life. And may we think about how we can be people who tell that story, who display that story of good news. The snapshots of our lives, may that be something that speaks a bold story to a world that is struggling, a world that's struggling to find hope and to find the true answers. We know that we can find them in you, and may we be about that story. We give you thanks, and may we continue in worship and and to bring you glory in that. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.